season's greetings from the Grimerica Show podcast. Gather around the fireplace, help yourself to some hot cocoa with the little marshmallows in it, maybe have a candy cane or two, and maybe some cookies. It's so warm and jolly, crying Merry Christmas, podcasting from the igloo, Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo, and over there that's Graham crying tears of joy, as he listens in on the little drummer boy, I see you've acquainted yourself with D-Ron. Yeah, it's true, he puffs Christmas trees on medicinal. Wait a second, is that? Yeah, I think that's Sasquatch beneath the mistletoe. Get over here, Graham. Thank you for saving me and giving me a kiss. And it looks like Napoleon Doom is decorating the room. With tinsels, ribbon, popcorn on strings, and poinsettias, they are in bloom. And you might ask, Who's that in the green and red Lucia Libre mask? Why, of course, that's RPJ. Feliz Navidad. It's so warm and jolly. Cry Merry Christmas. Podcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy, you'll get a warm and fuzzy feeling if you donate to the Grime America show. So get in the spirit, reach down in your pocket and make it rain. I mean, uh, let us know, make it snow, let us know, let us know, make it snow. Donate to the show. Donate to the show. Donate to the show. It's so warm and jolly. Grime Christmas Podcasting from the igloo Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo And over there that's Graham crying tears of joy As he listens in on the little drummer boy is not something that you can repair or fix. 
It has to be replaced. It's defective by design. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be <coughs> chatting with Alan and Tomas a little bit later. Uh, a couple of buddies, Grand Matt, Grand Matt down at the Red Pill Expo. One, I met one of them. Oh, the other guy was there too, but I don't think I met him. That was back in October, was it? Oh, fuck. You know what? No, it wouldn't I, I have been. It was way back. August. Yeah. It was in August it was summer, or September yeah. or something like that when yeah. he went down to Montana. And of course, a little Christmas. I guess it's our last episode before Christmas, so it's a little Merry Christmas episode. We'll wish you motherfuckers a Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, so without further ado, I give you, Graham, the uh, Christmas Elf Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Good. How you doing? We should have dressed you up like an elf. <laughs> I got we'll do the, it. The we'll, height. The height. I'm. A, I'd be a pretty chubby elf. No, I think you could pull it off. <laughs> we'll get you the vertical stripes. We'll be slimming. We good. We'll use it next year when we do the Gramerica Graham Dunlop Chris Graham Dunlop Christmas sing along special. Never, really, never. <laughs> never. We'll do the little bouncing ball. I shouldn't up. say it because we'll do like what Felix did, except it'll be you in an elf suit, and we'll do like all your favorite songs. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to pick like an album. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. You never know. Maybe in a year I might be different, but it's pretty scary. <laughs> pretty scary to think of that. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, I'm going to put, I actually played the Felix's song at the beginning of this episode, since it's a Christmas episode, we'll throw it up front and center. And yeah, it's a strange episode to end up coming out as a Christmas show, but we actually, we're going to do a legit Christmas show next week. Be more of a debacle again with Micah and the cruising with steak guys. I don't know who else. Yeah, a bunch of other guys. Yeah, it'll, sure be, it'll, it'll be, be a zoo. It'll be a zoo shit show. The annual Christmas shit show. That's always fun, though. It'll be good. And of course, we do have the trivia show on the Black Budget. Oh yeah, right. Now, yeah, we did a trivia show. An absolute. America slaughters cruising mistake. Actually, they came back. Yeah, we oh, barely like won that. by yeah. four hundred. <laughs> they were complaining because James was here. Yeah. Hey, James was here. James was here. You guys should have brought a friend. You had a cat there. Cat counts. No, but yeah, James was. Yeah, James was, was trying, trying to, not to look. James at was him. trying to cheat, but he had mostly the wrong answers. <laughs> <laughs> So I think he's the one who cost us a thousand points. But anyway, it was a real fun app. Uh, the YouTube, there was, we did a YouTube video with it as well. A bunch of people watch live. Uh, the YouTube video is privatized now, but there's a link for it. So I'll put, I'm going to throw the link on the black budget page. So the links will be there. Oh, the, you can do the supporters. that? Yep. And I'll, so we can have private videos. Yeah. Which is new. So yeah, just to get to the black budget, the only way... Or the, the best way to do that, the only way really, is just to donate anything to the show. Yeah. Any, any one time, any, uh, any, any monthly. Any one time, any monthly, whatever, I'll get you access to that. So I'm we're trying gonna, to put like two extra apps a month in there of just different type shit. Yeah. So that's good. We did, I did send Felix a couple bucks. A big thanks to Felix for hosting the whole thing. That he did fun. a, he did a fantastic job. Um, yeah, he really <laughs> fucking pulled it off. Um, so yeah, it was a great time. So yeah, he I sent him some things so he can he's gonna buy a bunch of cards now. So he'll be ready to go. So we're yeah. actually cruising mistake keeps bitching. So we're gonna turn it into a two out of three. Okay. And we'll do it again. Are they we'll bitching? Go, I haven't heard about this yeah, bitching. Yeah, yeah, they're bitching where, where are they bitching? Yeah. 
Yeah, on what the platform chats. are they? Are they really? Yeah, grandamerica.ca slash chats. <laughs> I'm doing some griping over there. So we'll give them a, we'll give them another chance. That's the perpetual chat room where a lot of these guys have um, birthed their own podcast. Yeah, and friendships. A, we're actually working on a Grand America social network. Actually, actually, oh, I shouldn't say on, that. That's... It's not going to be a Grand America social network. It's going to be a, an amalgamation of all the like friendly podcasts in our group. Are you putting? Are you putting? I saw a different channel in there or something about art. Has that always been? There? I don't do that. That's not me. I've made so many admins now so that they can just do it all themselves. There's there's fucking there's poem ones. Poem. There's a poem fucking bike chat. There's a bike chat. Media symbolism. Oh, there's a ton. Yeah. There's like 10 different fucking. Where was the servers. art one I saw? I thought I saw an art yeah, one. Yeah, there's an art one in there. So the artist oh, corner. Oh, artist corner. Yeah. yeah. There's a sky pictures, pussy pictures, <laughs> which is pictures of cats, endless pictures of cats. Right on. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So, anyways, we don't want to talk too much about that because we have a special thing to talk about. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I did want to. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, first of all, big thanks to the people who have sent us Christmas donations. That's uh, right, amazing. Yeah. Uh, we've never really got that before, but to get a couple bucks for Christmas, that, that was uh, cool from a bunch of different people that pitched in. So super helpful, super helpful, super yeah. helpful at a, at a, a time it really came in handy. Uh, so big thanks to them. But uh, now that we're here, uh, we are going to put the the gasa on hold just for a little bit here for hopefully just a couple weeks. Um, as uh, we do have a listener, I'm not going to mention any, I don't think I'm going to mention any names at the time. We have a listener. He's a good friend of the show. Um, we've known him for quite a while. I've, I've met him. Um, he's a real good guy. And he started up a GoFundMe because his niece, Trinity, has uh, unfortunately been diagnosed with uh, some sort of bone cancer. So I don't have the, the info in front of me. I'm, it's it's not a big deal. Anyway, we're going to put the link in the show notes. So we've put our thing on hold and we're kind of pushing towards uh, funding their campaign so she can get her treatment. She's 12 years old. And um, yeah, I think uh, there's there's a good chance if you can get the money together. And, and you know, I often bitch because we do less than 1% around here. But you know this—that's one percent of the people that less, listen. Less that, than one percent of the people that listen to the show support the show, which is fine. We can put up with that for Graham and I chasing our dream. But uh, for this one here, I think we could do a little better than that. I think we could get to maybe. You know, I was doing the math the other day. If we could get like, you know, three percent to pitch in like twenty bucks, then they would hit their goal. I think it's like. 30 grand to get her down to Texas and get her through the treatment. See, that's the thing. That. It's in the States. It's tough, right? If something like that happens. Um... Yeah. Well, in Canada, it gets tough because you might have to wait too long. Right. Is the other problem. Yeah. So, I mean, we, there's plenty of examples of Canadians going down to the States so they can just pay where time is a factor. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that's the thing is in Canada, you would be covered. So, I mean, I'm not going to get I'm into I'm not saying anything about that. Oh, just yeah, that, yeah. that it's tough in the, in the States. Yeah. Where, absolutely. Where, like, you know, you need to try and. So yeah, you know, if we could get like 3%, I mean, maybe we can do even better than that. Maybe we can do like 10% and then we can go over the goal because, you know, it's probably going to be more than they expect, especially if the parents are staying there with her and, and things like that, it starts to get, you know, it's going to add up quick. So I think, I mean, we've done great so far. I think we've actually already drummed up like five or 600 bucks from the community yeah. in uh, just a couple of days from the chats and from Twitter and things like that. So, I mean... Yeah, for the rest of the month, maybe uh, instead of throwing some money at the space thing or 
You know, if you're humming and hawing about throwing some money at us, maybe that's Grand America goes to space. The gas, uh, yeah, maybe for this month, let's just throw some money Trinity's way. And I hope I'm pronouncing the name properly. Um, the link's gonna be in the show notes for sure. And like I say, let's, uh, you know, this is probably the best value for value you can get because I'm telling you right now, if you pitch in 25, 30, 50 bucks, and in a year from now, we're talking about this little girl bouncing back and being cancer free. You're going to get a little feeling in your belly that's going to make you feel a whole lot better than uh, anything else, I would argue, that you can buy for 50 bucks. So dig deep, guys. Honestly, I think we can, we can, I think in our community, we could really put a dent in this thing. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of you out there. Um, I know it's Christmas. It's a tough time. But even if it's five or 10 bucks, it helps. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I said, if, if if every one of you pitched in a buck, this thing would be covered. Yeah. So I, I don't expect 100%. But I think we could do at least, you know, five better, better than one. Yeah. I think we can do five or ten. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm telling you that I know this campaign is 100% legit. I know the guy that's doing it. It's not a scam. And the Go, GoFundMe link will be in the show notes. And you can also find, I'm sure, on yeah, your Twitter. It's in the Twitter the multiple times. Like, it's in the Facebook multiple maybe times. Maybe we can put it in the email. We'll put it in our email, uh, too, we'll, if we'll, you're signed up for yeah, the newsletter. We'll si- send it out in the newsletter link. And uh, yeah, this will be our last episode probably for a couple of weeks. So I wanted to just really hammer that home. And what do you mean by that? Well, cause next week is, no, I guess we'll still have it up next week. Yeah, we will. We'll record <laughs> this next it. week's live or. Well, no, we're yeah, probably we'll record it <laughs> after that. We'll record it before or after the Fandango. Right. Or we'll remind you guys, but I think we, you know, a week from now we could have all pitched in 20 bucks. So check out the link guys, do what you can. And uh, we'll worry about going to space next month. Yeah. Um, other than that, actually, maybe before we jump into stuff, do you want to open up? We got some gifts oh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I know we got some gifts on the way from our buddy from California, but we do have some gifts here from Michael. I think you got some gifts that got stopped at the border, don't you? Well, tech, oh it looks like they've made it through. What does Graham have here? Oh, my here? God, look at this. Oh, man. Oh, look at that. It's, it's a, a toy UFO. A toy UFO. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Let's see. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, look, it's... It's even got a little, uh, you can remove the fucking alien pilot too. Nice. And I've got a premium fidget spinner. No way. Look at this thing. It's a, the hand spinner is a high precision hand spinning device made from various metals using an automated computer numerical control milling process. CNC. Nice. Oh, thanks, Michael. Yeah. Well, it's going pretty good, eh? I yeah. don't really get the thing about those. I really don't get it. Yeah, give it a twirl. Uh, it's addictive. Oh, it looks pretty cool, though, too. It looks very... Uh, I love the case, too. It's got some hexagons in there. Wow, it goes pretty good, eh? Yeah, it's cool. Wow. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, it looks like it looks like our California package is en route. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Didn't get delivered today. I checked the P.O. box. Yeah, it was actually my first time going to the P.O. box. No, you've been there before. Or did you always just say you were going to go check it and you never yeah, went? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, give me the key back right now before That's I forget. <laughs> <laughs> it might still come in tomorrow. I think they're delivering mail all weekend, actually. So. I'll check it tomorrow. Yeah. Let me know. I'll drive downtown. FYI, the PO box is on the on the website. Yeah, it's all on grandamerica.ca slash contact if you're looking to. But uh, yeah, yeah, big thanks to Michael for the gifts. Big thanks to our buddy Mac in California for sending a little gifts along. Hopefully those will show up all in one piece. We'll talk about those next week. Um, what do you got? 
Well, I got, I mean, we get listener emails and this is where we talk about it and get people involved. I got some, I got some listener emails. I got a video that I really want to share a little bit on and, um, the UFO quote of the week as well. What do you want to do first? It's a, the listener email is a UFO kind of po- a post trip report UFO sighting. If that helps you choose your jingle. And he tries to trick me with the UFO quote of the week. So Project Blue Book was ballyhooed by the Air Force as a full-fledged top priority operation. It was no such thing. The staff, in a sense, was a joke. In terms of scientific training and numbers, it was highly inadequate to the task. And the methods used were positively archaic. And that is the crack operation that the general public believes looked adequately into the UFO phenomena. And that is Dr. Alan J. Hynek, astronomer, professor, and scientific advisor to UFO studies undertaken by the U.S. Air Force. There you have it. A lot of UFO hype lately. Lots of UFO hype lately. You know what's funny? Uh, the yeah. MSM is fucking talking about UFOs and the conspiracy people are saying, no way. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty funny meme, eh? Yeah. yeah. I was, I was like, hold I on, saw, wait a second here. Let's see some I saw, evidence. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a meme about that. It was pretty funny. The mainstream talks about UFOs and the conspiracy people don't believe it. Yeah. So, well, this is this is the crux of it, right? And we're talking about, obviously, that I think it was triggered by um, DeLong's group. We need um, a triggered jingle. What's what's his triggered. what's that name again? The triggered. Ghost of the Stars or something like that. Mm-hmm. To the Stars or whatever it is. Which is which the UFO community in general is pretty skeptical about. Yeah. But I guess they got this thing it. out in the New York Times. So all of a sudden in the New York Times it gets a little bit of mainstream publicity, but not that. Like I mean, I see it right away in all the the stuff that we that comes through our view. But yeah. I don't think I mean, and, and, a, and a couple of friends came to me with this, like that aren't into the subject. A couple of people at work asked my opinion. I get this text from my, my old buddy. I officially believe in UFOs after seeing that recent footage release of the encounter with the F-18 from 2004. And I've been talking to, like, he's a guy I can talk to about all this stuff, yeah. right? And he's pretty skeptical. He's a super smart guy, but he's pretty skeptical. But he's all in now. And I said, it's about fucking time. I go hundreds of these cases. And he says... But that footage was amazing. Why is this not top of all the news channels? And I said, cover up. And he goes, I believe. And then he sends me like this X-Files gif. (laughs) And then I said, like, drip, drip disclosure. So, but you know, it's sad in a way that because it's in the New York Times and the footage was good, albeit. But now, like, so maybe there's a bunch of him out there that are kind of interested in a way, but they're not like they don't buy in. And now they're maybe buying in. So a lot of people are saying that that was disclosure, that the disclosure has happened. That's it. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know it's if pretty, I want to go that far. It's pretty but, anticlimactic if it did. Well, I mean, it's, uh, they're saying that this will be looking, well, you look back and this will be the point of disclosure. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what to think about that, to be honest with you. I don't give a fuck, really. Honestly, it just doesn't. Well, I don't need the government or anything to tell us, but it does. It, it to you me, do. it's. You I do. don't. You I want do. academia and the scientific academia? community. What academia? Yeah, you want them to be like, okay, it's fucking UFO, bro. 
Well, at least take it fucking seriously. Like, don't ridicule the ridicule. The thing that bugs me about it is the ridicule factor and the and the you know the making fun of and well, there's the still giggle, a lot of, there's giggles, still a lot of giggles. giggles. Now this makes me giggle. This little toy UFO. Where are we gonna hang that one? That one can go like uh, over on this side. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> What else you got, buddy? I got that listener uh, post uh, psychedelic uh, UFO sighting, and I just came in. Is it a synchro or anything? No. Let's go with. Uh... And now another edition of the Grime American Goodies by the people. By the people. Hmm. Just emailed it to Darren after after a thanks for getting on that show sport. Now, he, he writes in a slang, so it's going to be hard for me to read. But I do need your That's undivided what it attention. Is. My undivided attention? Good luck. Pretty new to the show, but I do love that you dudes are consistent, and I think you're going to dig my story. Without further ado, it's funny you said that today, and you don't usually say that. Can't remember if it's you or Graham or both. Oh, this must be to you. Did you send this to me maybe then? No. I don't know. Anyways. Or if both you dudes see the email, anyway, hope it entertains and perhaps with a similar tale will come forward. Enjoy. Greetings, honorable Grimerica and Grimericans. And this is from circa 2006 7. A couple years after graduating from high school, and me, and along with some friends connected and close throughout our time at said high school, decided to pay a visit to friends whom had now moved to San Francisco and Santa Cruz for college. A lot of us were the artsy creative types, and in one and and in turn, one of our primary objectives was to take advantage of the readily available access to psychedelics. NorCal provides, in the company of our dear dear friends, no inhabitants of the Bay Area. So Northern California, of course. Mm-hmm. Indeed, we basked in the magical splendors of mushrooms amidst the fine coastal redwoods and heavily skies of Santa Cruz. Partied hard the following days in San Fran. A legendary mind-blowing weekend in the books. It was time to go home. We hit the road approximately midnight that Sunday. My buddy driving and me in the front passenger seat. Four other passengers piled up and passed out in the back of my buddy's oversized gluttonous American SUV. Promptly passed out. Being the faithful night owl wingman that I am, I kept my energy lively and wide awake in the company of the driver. Definitely my closest and best friend of the bunch. Two to three hours into our drive heading south on the Interstate 5 to our home of Los Angeles. We rejoiced over Bowles, Hendricks, Tool, Floyd, and I believe we were listening to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club when it happened. It. I noticed light in my peripheral vision. Instantaneously, I registered it as a streetlight, which made absolutely no sense. Not that at this part of the I-5 is the longest stretch of nothing but farmlands for about 80 miles. No rest stops, gas stations, not even another car on the road, if my memory serves me well. Just an abyss of darkness. I see it through the upper right corner of the windshield, dancing around in midair at quite a distance, about 50 yards off the ground, max. Cruising along, I recognize the swooping motions as resembling as the way a bee or a fly would maneuver, thinking, what the fuck? Is a random dude out there with an RC airplane in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere? Clearly no... Streetlight, to say the least. I grabbed my friend's attention as we continued driving along. What the hell is that thing? We quandered, squinting and giggling at the ridiculousness. 
just a little bit closer between each second. At first, it seemed like it was blinking, still quite far off to the right of us. But as we continued cruising and getting closer to the point of the road that would be our access point, it became clear when the object turned, one side was unlit and the other consisted of three lights in a row, which seemed to reorientate us parallel to the ground between the loop and swoop and maneuvers. Now we are starting to feel some kind of astonishment slash confusion. What the fuck? Exponentially getting more and more excited at this strange thing. Now, no more than a couple hundred yards away, this thing makes one last sharp swoop and jets toward us in a straight line, directly toward, directly to the access point to the road, perhaps like 30, 30 yards or so off the ground. It came to a dead stop hovering above the road. We achieved kind of the ultimate level of astonishment, ecstatic tears rolling down both of our faces and complete and utter shock as we try to catch one last glance through the windshield as we pass underneath it. Looking back, I regret not stopping the car. Yet in that short moment, I was able to take note that there was definitely a mass connected to the three lined up lights parallel to the ground. The sky was blocked from view for perhaps 30 feet behind the lights, yet zero surface reflecting the luminous spheres, hence not metal. No crazy turbine, no- turbine noises, at least nothing we could hear over our blissed out ecstatic mind fuck state. Yep, here we were in some kind of trance, to not even consider pulling over. He's a lot more straight-laced and always gets a little weird when I bring it up, but I couldn't tell that story for months to someone without crying in bliss again. Sometimes the people I'd tell would just erupt into tears too. Crazy shit. My buddy leans toward government tech. I'm way leaning towards extraterrestrial slash interdimensional being. Maybe evolved humans from the future. Maybe me and my friend in an alternate psychedelic reality. I believe our incredible experiences experiences with mushrooms open us up to some kind of wonderful thing. Perhaps these beings were so evolved they don't need food or water. <coughs> the ultimate ethical being that's transcendent just evolved in a way to feed off that heightened vibration, or perhaps just doing an MRI eyes on us. We certainly connected deeply with the stars a few nights before under the powerful effects of psilocybin cubensis. Cubensis. Cuban. Cubensis. Anyway, Cubensis. hope you all enjoyed. It's one of my highlights, and for a while I was pretty hush hush about sharing it outside of personal friendships and face to face peeps. Well, now you shared it with a whole shitload of people. But so. thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> Maybe I was just too lazy to type it out. Definitely gets a lot easier to express in person with body language, passion, and verbalization. Enjoy, fellow seekers, wizards, pathfinders, revolutionaries, evolutionaries, earth people, and alien entities. If you are somehow tuning in, Let's go for a ride. I'm sick of these gravitation constraints. If you haven't abandoned this, I'm ready wherever, whenever you think I might be. Sincerely, Ronald. Wow, thanks, Ronald. <laughs> what if it's Ronald McDonald? That was good, eh? Yeah. That was good. Thanks for the email. I think we just got, you know, I, I my emails are a little bit messed up right now, so I might <laughs> not be replying to people. I know, James, I know they just got fixed, yeah. but I'm just getting James used to the new James format. James is like fucking freaking out right now. <laughs> they just got fixed. I'm just using the new format. Ready for the new format. Like this video that I've got to play, I don't know where I got it from. Somebody probably sent it to me. I can't find where I got it from, but it's an amazing video. Big thanks to James for fixing the email. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. He was in here all night by himself. Yeah. We have so guy. many people just helping out in, in their own little way. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you want? The clip cord? 
I do want the quick. Well, yes. no, you got to do your little jingle first, and I don't what want the am fucking. I, doing? I want the uh, the Kate Bush mix jingle there. Oh, oh come on! As an all-in believer in chemtrails, I slipped. All right, all right you slipped. I slipped. Death dumps, <laughs> otherwise known as chemical trails, being dropped, sprayed throughout the United States. Oh, I think this was failed that made this one, eh? Ireland. No. Oh, was it? I have personally seen them not only in the United States, but in Mexico. Birds are dying around the world. Fish are dying by the hundreds of thousands around the world. This is genocide. This All is right. poison. That's probably my one of my favorite jingles. <coughs> I'll sing this song in next year's Christmas. Well, yeah, you can add this to the Christmas. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So this is... We'll uh, do that in a, in a 12, 12 months of gram Christmas calendar for 2019. This is from Skywatcher, or it says, Skywatcher, the incredible true story of artificial clouds and weather modification. Oh, I need a clipboard. No, fuck off. No, and now this, like, like yeah. watching this, I just want you to know how I feel. Like, watching this was like, this is kind of what I've been saying. Like, you know, I don't want to get too too far over to one extreme or the other, but this really, to me, condenses my kind of worldview about what's going on with weather modification. So I'm just going to play, play a couple minutes here, and then we'll stop it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, and then I'm going to read some of the comments below. Ready? Big thanks from Buford. For the postcard from the UK. People can't see us in here when you just interrupt my flow like that. They, they can't see the frustration on your face. They don't know what's going on. We should do more video. I like live interruptions. I'd trying. like to see people to see me interrupt you. Or I'd like I'd rather people see me shoot you with an elastic during interrupting essays. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. That'll be a new segment on a black budget feed. All right, let's hear it. Okay. It's going to take long. That's not working. Volume's down. Oh, you fuck. See, now you blame me for the clips. <laughs> it changes, period. Oh, now I got to rewind it. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is how you don't get clips. With all the conflicting information in the news media, it's difficult nice to know what to believe about climate change. And with groups trying to protect their interests and profit from government policies, it's hard to believe what anyone says. We've known all along that Earth's climate changes periodically and that ice ages come and go, so climate change may be perfectly natural. But you're about to see clearly why this cycle in Earth's history is different, a cycle which is completely new to this planet. The atmosphere is different today compared to last century, for a very specific reason, and it isn't the buildup of CO2. But as a scientist, you would have a very difficult time understanding this problem based solely on the chemistry and physics without first knowing the other matters of fact which might drastically affect your approach and your experiments, namely the Vonnegut connection, which we'll explain in a moment. 
What we're examining in this movie is probably the most important chemical affecting our atmosphere and climate today, but it's not usually mentioned in climate change discussions which revolve around CO2. Yet our top scientists at NASA tell us that clouds affect the climate more than CO2. And that's because to a great degree, Earth's atmosphere regulates our planet's temperature between the energy radiated from the sun and the coldness of space. Earth's atmosphere is also the environment in which the natural cloud formation processes occur. Rain clouds are the basis of this natural hydrological cycle which transports water from one place to another around the Earth. Now, let's get back to the artificial clouds. You already know the contrail time. Commercial jets are larger than ever and they travel higher, faster and more frequently than ever before. As they fly, the combustion of hydrocarbons produces H2O. Over a gallon of water is created for every gallon of fuel burned. Because to burn something, you're going to have to add oxygen. That's what it's all about. So, burns to produce, and it always produces these two major things that you have to account for. Carbon dioxide, gas, and water vapor. H2O gas. Well, there you go. That's it. Anytime you burn hydrocarbon, it's plus O2 makes CO2 plus H2O. The water particles in the jet exhaust are blasted through the exhaust manifold into the sub-zero temperatures of the stratosphere at about 500 miles per hour, forming a thick wake of tiny ice crystals. Stratospheric jet clouds are much higher than tropospheric rain clouds, and because their moisture is in the form of ice, their texture is not wet but dry and powdery like fine snow. Stratospheric clouds made by jets have an immediate effect on the weather we experience, creating large shadows from high above. Can you spot the jet condensation trail in this photo? It's a trick nope. question. All these clouds are jet contrails. But how is this possible? How can jets cover the entire sky with clouds? The answer starts, of course, with the understanding that for clouds to form, enough cloud condensation nuclei must be present. Contrails provide some of the necessary cloud nuclei in the form of ice particles and other aerosolized particulates. But the many chemical aerosols in this highly toxic exhaust still don't provide a sufficient explanation for the massive plumes they create which persist and continue to gather mass and form clouds. So what is this mysterious chemical that causes drastic climate change by covering the earth with artificial clouds? It's called silver iodide, which is a combination of silver nitrate and potassium iodide. And you're about to see why this chemical is responsible for the huge icy clouds that are routinely created by jets. For a complete understanding, let's look at the problem of artificial clouds in the context of the little-known history. We're going to get sued here. So, motive: strong reasons to spend resources. Evidence we should be able to find. Strong reasons to spend resources means technical capability and opportunity approval documentation. So he gets into how. Um, Silver iodide is being sprayed, like I've been talking about here with the weather modification and the, and the cloud seeding, all this stuff. And he talks about the Vonica connection, how Vonica created this technology to do that back in the 60s. And how over time, what's happening is, is uh, there's a big layer of this fucking silver iodide stuff. And then the, the jets, the person, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, what, are they, what am I, what am I, what's the word I'm thinking of? Persistent contrails? No, the, jet, the big jets, the big... Jumbo jets? Yeah, like the... Airliners? Airliners. 747s? Their exhaust is mixing with this, and it's creating these clouds, and it's persisting, and it's creating all this man-made clouds, and it's affecting the earth. It's drawing the earth, and it's affecting... And they talk about California and how 
all the cloud seeding in California is fucking up Texas because it's actually making Texas a drought in Texas. And they talk about how um, this, this, uh, so I can see why the chemtrail people don't necessarily like this video. Yeah, so I'll read yeah, a couple yeah. comments because, but for me, it's very interesting to talk, to, to wrap this into it shows you that's a the weather, the weather modification thing. But the thing I don't agree with him on or that I didn't see him address is how, why the persistent contrails now compared to like in the seventies and eighties or even the sixties and seventies. And maybe what he's saying, which I didn't catch is that now there's a layer of silver iodide in the atmosphere. Well, they're talking about how that's creating global warming. So the premise that I like about this, which is what I've been ranting about for the last couple of years, is that years. they're blaming CO2 and us for global warming, right? Some people. Well, the Bill fucking Nye. elites. Bill Nye. Except, right? Bill Nye and his fucking elites. When, when you're not measuring the weather modification programs going on all over the world and the cloud seeding and all this shit the silver iodide, which people like Joe Rogan should fucking look at because they're fucking spraying it. There's programs for decades now spraying it all over. So maybe he's saying that the persistent contrails are there because the silver iodide layer is there. But anyways, he's saying that that's causing global warming and NASA even has a fucking NASA. quote in here. I meant to, I meant to actually start off with a NASA quote. In that NASA quote, <laughs> NASA is making quotes now. Fuck, I can't find it now. Anyways, it was a fantastic quote about, about, um, oh, there's, they, he talks about the GARP study as well. GARP's like harp, except GARP. <laughs> harp with a G? No, it's not. It's, it's something else. God <laughs> stuck to your nipple. <laughs> That that's gonna come off weird on audio. Yeah, exactly. I threw something at Graham, and it stuck to his erect nipple. Anyways, I wanted to uh, I wanted to find that NASA quote, but what they're saying is that basically that uh, weather modification would cause more global warming than CO two. This is from NASA, so they're saying now that there's this 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 cover mm -hmm. of clouds, fake clouds, not fake real clouds. clouds, fake clouds. That is trapping in Real fake the clouds. heat, possibly, and causing global warming more so than CO2. Because that's like CO2 is a very minimal um, quantity than water vapor. And yeah, that's I heard water vapor is like the worst. Yeah. So let's, so then, so then I, so the first comment in the YouTube is um, you have to wonder why so much effort it went into a documentary that betrays common sense to deliberately misinform the audience. There are so many things wrong with blaming chemtrails on silver iodide. I hardly know where to begin. First, you have to believe an aircraft with a service ceiling of 25,000 feet can influence an air corridor and jet traveling at 38,000 feet. Observations over two decades show chemtrail emissions actually originate inside the culprit aircraft and are not a product of secondhand smoke from silver iodide. This total nonsense so taints the occasional worthwhile content that I would never recommend that anyone use it as a source for anything. Pew, pew. Uh, maybe there's some replies. Oh, there is some replies. And then, oh, the guy says, so this is the guy responding who made that video. Harold, watch again. You completely misunderstood. Jet do travel as high as 38,000 feet, but how do they get there? By accelerating at full, full throttle through 15, 20, and 25,000 feet. 
Many different kinds of aircraft are used for cloud seating, including craft that are capable of 40,000 feet. Seating is most commonly done at about 20,000, but they will go as high as necessary to get above and in front of the storm cloud. So anyways, he's, he's Harold. <laughs> oh, huh. So there's quite, quite a controversy going on. One sane voice in the comment section. I suppose we're all supposed to just believe your documentary because you use convincing tones and what you term as proof. So, yeah, there's a big pushback to this. I mean, it could be. I mean, maybe it is. Uh, I'd love to read actually all these comments. It's pretty interesting. Now, one guy says, this sounds like a damage control stunt to disinformation about chemtrails. I live in a warm Southern California. We have lots of aircraft flying overhead every day. Most of the time, the sky is clear. These long plumages are, are not contrails. But something not made of water. I have seen, I have seen actual fixed length contrails with steam forming tens of feet away from engines. I know what contrails and chemtrails differ and look like. Okay, let's not get into reading too many YouTube comments. I didn't play the social media jangle. It's not even our media. Strange Cloud Sung Dogs says we are <laughs> being sprayed like rablats. Lab rats. Yeah. He so, said rablats. Just so you know. <laughs> so it's 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 another interesting thing about these conspiracies, right? Is that he's actually at the end of it he talks about activism a lot, and yet all the chem all the like full on chemtrail believers are fully against him. I mean, it's just happening in, you know, what the nine eleven community and other communities <laughs> with conspiracies. Uh, you need that time. <laughs> Some other stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say, don't you? No. no you don't? Come on. I don't. Come I'm on. sorry. I can't, I can't pull you up. Now. No, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I kind of do, but not. I don't know where you're it's going. Just, it. It's fragmenting the whole fucking, that whole community, right? So you think it's disinfo? I don't know what it is. I like the premise of it because it's, you know, it's something that I've been bitching about for two years. And I hear some guy come out with a very, you know, interesting video, lots of good footage, lots of good quotes, lots of, you know, it makes sense to me. Because why well, are they yeah, different? The why other... are they extended now? Why, if they're not. It gets culty okay, though. Here's the other thing I culty. want to say. Here's the other thing I want to say. I think it's multiple answers and multiple things going on. There's probably, probably some spraying like yeah, these you, guys are these talking guys about. These guys would rip you apart. You make a YouTube video, you, oh, there's yeah, so it's many, a little of this, little of that. No, there's that. so You're many patents. Piss everybody I don't off care. Yeah, there's so many patents out there with so many different spraying nozzles and spraying things that, yes, they're, they're spraying shit as well as probably cloud seeding with these exhausts uh, creating this uh, artificial clouds. So I bet it's a lot of it. But, you know, it's not, it still irks me that. We're allowing people to fuck with our weather and spray silver iodide around. You don't seem to have it's a not, choice. It's not healthy. Unless we rise up. You know what? I mean, what are we doing letting this happen? Like, if there was an activism that you were to choose to do, right? Thomas and Alan on this episode chose the bank, the Federal Reserve. They're going down that rabbit hole. We cover a lot of different topics here, but you're sort of leaning towards the vaccine thing. Like, if somebody was to say to you, I would give you a million dollars to be an activist for some cause that you believe in or that you, you know you think is the most important thing. You'd probably pick vaccines. I'd probably donate it to someone else. That okay, was forget the idea. money. Forget the money. If somebody said you have to choose a, an, acti an activism so topic. They're going to beat you up. They're going to beat me up. Yeah. Oh, God. 
I'd you're choose that. Their head, you'd pick vaccine. Yeah. I'd probably pick weather modification. I'd start investigating the people that are going to put two in my head for not. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Like, it's, I just don't understand how thing. people aren't uh, upset that they're spraying chemicals in the air. Make it your And magnum, again, like, forget, the, forget the extreme con. con that, that's why I like it, because the weather modification part, because forget the extreme conspiracies about the contrail, chemtrails. That plane, might be happening. Plane but still but the we weather. know there's enough evidence and documentation about the weather that it's easier to fucking grab hmm. and start there. There you have it. So I'm putting it in the show notes. Just my little rant. The grant. The grant. Oh, fuck. You know what? Do I have the jingle in here? This is Graham's rant jingle. Oh, we got a couple uh, jingles sent to you too. Did you get those? Yeah, I haven't put them on here yet. Though. Some advice to the listeners. I think both of our emails are on the contact page and Darren doesn't read my emails. So you're better off sending him an, an email directly. If you're sending jingles, especially stories and listener emails, like, you know, feedback is good to come to me, but if you're sending jingle or something technical, send it to me, just send it to Darren and put in the subject line, like jingle, jingle, jingle something. Yeah, I have a Graham, Graham's rant one, but I don't have it on here yet. I thought I put switched everything over, but I guess not. That one seems to be missing. I'll just use this one. So big shout out to Graham's cat. Oh, come on. I don't have a That's jingle good cord. Have the clip cord back. <laughs> Give me the clipcord back. No, it's okay. I'm not going to play that <laughs> no, one. Okay. I won't play that you one. You don't need the clipcord back. I do. I got to play a jingle. I got to send out Christmas good vibes. You sucker. Just kidding. I should play it, but we played it enough during the... Oh, my God. <laughs> during the... Trivia. Trivia show, so... I think that's about it, yeah. guys. Enjoy the chat with... Uh, yeah, it was Thomas, great. Great meeting Tomas and Alan, and hopefully we'll we'll get uh, catch up again with them. Yeah, it's a great episode. Really, I think that's an important topic too. You know, that central banking, the Federal Reserve, and Bitcoin, and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's one of our overarching problems in Bitcoin society. I think like is five grand today. You know, it's fucking. We're created out of debt. Everything is created out of debt. The whole world is fucking in debt to these people, including the studio. And that's a problem. Including the studio. That's right. A lot of debt in here. That's right. Grandmarket.ca slash support. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good Christmas. Uh, we'll send you out some Christmas good vibes here before we jump into our interview. Oh, and of course, some good good vibes to uh, to, to, to to Trinity and, <laughs> and Garrett and everyone over there dealing with that. Oh, yeah. And uh, allegedly, Garrett. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I outed you. <laughs>
right, tonight we've got Tomas Hadazi and Alan Myers with us. It's funny, we both, uh, we, we were all at the Red Pill Expo a few months back. I think Alan met Tomas and I met Tomas. And Alan and Tomas are both part of Freedom Force International. And we wanted to get on here and talk about, uh, you know, this debt-based system we live in and the, the $20 trillion of debt uh, that the that they, they have down south in the in the states and like is there any solutions to this and the whole big problem with this so uh yeah thanks for coming on the show guys and i, I didn't want to do uh, a bio of you both beforehand i thought we could just get into that and you guys could describe a little bit about yourselves and and your red pill moments of, of how you woke up i'm sure those are interesting stories so thanks for coming on you're thanks. most welcome thank you for having us on yeah, it's great, man. That, that's one of my favorite things about that expo is just meeting people and having great conversation. Everybody seemed very um, grounded and open-minded and just sort of talking about, uh, you know, a lot of the things that are wrong with uh, with, the, with the system right now. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, you first, Go ahead, Okay, well, thank you. The, I, I found the Red Pill a great experience. I worked the table for Freedom Force International. What I was amazed about is the local coverage from the the local paper basically described <laughs> the event as some kind of and I'm I'm trying to I'm blanking on the exact words they use, but I think a we were white, a supremacist? white supremacist. White yeah. supremacist. Oh, white supremacist. Thank you. And this this was done without any reporter actually coming to the event and seeing what we were discussing, talking about, giving people the opportunity to voice any differences. It's just amazing that if you challenge the system or or the perceived system in any way, you will be viewed as some kind of hater, racist, supremacist. Yep. Even though there was all kinds of races there present, and there was you know black black speakers and everything. I mean, it was very inclusive and diverse. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the subject matter was uh, really um, around the rights of the individual, irrespective of what kind of race or skin color or any of that those things. So it, it cuts across all those lines. But like Alan mentioned. You know, the, the status quo wants to maintain this this division and and keep those you know keep those fires burning. Um, so it, it it was it was really an amazing event. Um, um, I'm so glad I, I attended. As a matter of fact, um, Alan and I have been having discussions about Freedom Force and 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 being more engaged there. But um, I would not have attended this event had Ed Griffin not called me about a year before that and asked me to help him with some kind of technology support for his website. Um, and then I said, well, how do I get more involved with Freedom Force? He said, oh, there's this event coming up. It's going to be in Bozeman, Montana. And I think we had about, uh, if I'm not mistaken, over 500 people there. And uh, most of those people are well-known names. And I was just thrilled from every minute uh, hearing these people speak. Yeah, it was quite quite an experience for me. And you Alan, were there you too, any other thoughts? Yeah, I was there. I, I, I thought it was fantastic. Do you have any other thoughts on Red Pill before we move on to your to your Red Pill moments? No, I think we pretty much covered it. It, it was it, it was a an event that brought 
great speakers, wonderful topics, very interesting people together. And it was a moment in time, obviously covering more than one day, but it was a moment in time for everybody where you can be with people and you wouldn't have to explain yourself why you're here, why you're, th- why, you're not, why you're not just buying into the status quo, why you're questioning, can we do things better or what are we being told and is really accurate or is, you know, is it education or indoctrination? From that standpoint, it, it was just a very comfortable time. Yeah. Because you could be yourself, you could voice your opinions and somebody might not agree with you, but it, it was just a matter of having discussions. I loved it. Yeah. 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 And and I think most of the people there, you know, even though it was the, called the red pill event, but all the people there had already taken their red pill, right? So we were we were trying to promote that further. So in that respect, like Alan said, it, it was just um you knew you you were among others who have who have had their old world view blown away and and have have awakened to, to what's really going on in, in this country and and around the world. So, yep. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, and people having their, you know, the red pill moments. Tomas, you want to talk about yours a little bit because it is an interesting story. How you, you know, we were just briefly touching upon it before we started recording. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so just a bit about my background. Um, back in about two thousand, uh, I guess it was two thousand one through two thousand four, I was working at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York um, uh, as a as a technology uh, consultant. And um, and I happened to have a degree in, in economics, uh, a bachelor's in economics, and yet I'm working there, and I still didn't quite understand what what this organization was, you know, what its function was, who owned it. And, uh, it, it seemed like a kind of a mystery. So I was asking around, trying to get some clarification, and I just got all these piss poor answers. And so that just made me more curious. So I started, you know, going online, and I ended up ordering Ed Griffin's. Uh, famous book, Creature from Jekyll Island. <laughs> and so, so while I'm working there and commuting to New York from New Jersey, I'm reading this book, this 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 incredible book, and that was the beginning of my red pill experience, uh, which lasted several years, by the way. But that was that was what started it all off for me, and um, and it blew away my my uh, my worldview, what I thought was was uh, was reality um i realized um so many i had so many opinions and and perspectives based on fallacies um so anyway before i ended up uh finishing on my work there i was actually handing out aaron russo's uh, dvd to the people i'm working with and if you remember that uh, aaron russo's freedom to fascism that's when he exposes the irs exposes the federal reserve it basically shows what a criminal entity they are and uh, so, yeah, so I was trying to uh, get other people there awakened, I, I guess. Um, um, and, and believe it or not, it was well received by some others, uh, not so much. Yeah. But um, yeah, but that kind of started all off for me. And, and, and I guess the major thing I learned from from that uh, going beyond our fraudulent monetary system is is there really is a a, uh, a a conspiracy of very powerful groups who are working to maintain and promote their own power and there's nothing really uh, extreme about that, that 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 would make sense that that's what they do yeah so yep 
Yeah. So how long did you work for that, uh, the fed before you ended up like after that moment and things you started sort of, let's say waking up or whatever, for lack of a better term, how, how long before you actually left there and started something else? Yeah, so I was there for three years uh, until 2004, uh, and then I decided I, I had enough of uh, being in New York, so I promised myself that would be my last time uh, working in New York. But um, but then after that, I, I started getting uh, more involved. I, cr- I actually created a, uh, when they had the meetup groups more, were more popular, I created a, a, a Freedom Force meetup group, which grew, grew to a significant size. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but but mostly I was just I spent the next three to five years just deep diving on every every rabbit hole I could find, <laughs> and uh, you know disconnected from the television, disconnected from mainstream sources, and just just went heavily into researching so I could you know educate myself on 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 things and especially the long view of history, which is why I appreciate Griffin's book so much, is because uh, he gives you the perspective of of not the last five or 10 or 15 years, but really how it all started out going back over 100, 120 years. And I think it's important to have that perspective to understand how these power groups were created um, and how they've evolved over the decades. Uh, I think I think you need to you need to understand that to really see who are the forces at, at work today. Uh, and of course, I'm sp- speaking specifically uh like organizations like the council on foreign relations and and the people who run the federal reserve bank so these are really the people who behind the scenes are pulling all the strings and and what brought alan and i together it was symbiotic because um he also has a passion for uh bringing about monetary change because in, in my opinion all these powerful interests are fueled financially via this uh, fraudulent monetary system, um, you know, they, they wouldn't be as powerful as they are if they couldn't just fund themselves infinitely. And, and that's what they do. Yep. Well said. So how, how about you, Alan, how about your uh, transition or if, if there was one? Oh, there was, uh, <laughs> it just so, ha- it just so happened that, uh, our starting Tomas and, and myself had the same starting point the same book, The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. Uh, This goes back to late 2010, and a friend kept telling me, you got to read this book, you got to read this book. Finally, I get the book, and I I look at it, and I go, are you kidding me? This is a 600-page doorstop. You expect (laughs) me to read this? Well, I start reading it. Now, I'm a CPA by trade and forensic accountant. And I start reading this, and I'm learning things and being exposed to information that was nowhere in my college education or post-professional education. And I have to admit that somewhere in those pages, I don't know where, but somewhere in those pages, I woke up, which means prior to that, I was asleep. (laughs) And during the first year of my study, I complete the creature. I read some other books. I watch the documentary Inside Job, which is about the, the 2008 crash. Yep. And I am I'm stunned by what I am being exposed to, what I'm learning. About a year in, I'm I'm at a tax seminar, and I'm at lunch with three other CPAs. A couple of them I know. And before I ask my question, I'm thinking to myself, I am the dumbest guy at this table. 
these guys know this stuff cold and somehow I just, I just never woke up and learned this when everybody else was being exposed to it. So at lunch, I'm asking these, I ask these guys straight, you know, hey boys, straight up, what do you know about the Federal Reserve System? There was a long stretch of silence. And then one said, uh, New York and interest rate. And that's where the conversation ended. <laughs> I realized two things at that moment. Number one, I was not the dumbest guy at the table. And number two, this system hides in plain sight. Since then, other than just continually reading and studying, evaluating and writing, questioning, talking to people, getting out, I've come to understand, and I talk to a lot of different professionals, and I ask them over and over again the same question. And the, and the same answer comes up. It's not a topic of conversation. Yet to me, the, Fed, the monetary system of a country is the most important system in the country because it is connected to everything in the country, which means it has the most effect and most influence. If people just take it for granted that everything's okay. And in our case, it's not. Yeah. That was, that was my awakening. Yeah. Uh, since then, I got involved with Freedom Force International. I've attended several, all of their conferences, their annual conferences. I also attended an event at the Cato Institute. I went to an event at the Mises that the Mises Institute put on, and then American Principles Project put on a three-day event out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I went to that. Every one of these was wonderful, great speakers, fabulous information, well-presented, really neat people. Each time, I left a little wanting, and I, yeah. find, and I figured it out. Despite all the great information and the wonderful speakers, what never was delivered was any or one specific doable call to action. To clean, keep it clean, it was just a complaint fest. But there was no, there was no talk of, okay, what are we going to do about it? And that frustrated me, and that basically kept me motivated to get activated and, and to... Uh, reach out to people, and I, I know it was a fabulous moment that I was able to meet Tomas, and we synced up, and you know we're after the same thing. Monetary system change because the Fed is not something, and when I say Fed, I mean the Federal Reserve System. Yeah, the Fed is not something that you can repair or fix. It has to be replaced. It's defective by design. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things I really wanted to have you guys on to talk about this because it's something that's been interesting to me ever since we started this podcast. And I heard about the Jek Jekyll Island book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and and uh, you know even Zeitgeist and watching these movies that sort of brought um, the debt-based system into our our social consciousness much more. And and it's and it, to me it's the core root of the problem. Like whenever we, you can't talk about all these, well, I mean you can, but <clears throat> talking about all these you know, political differences and all these distractions, really, like these surface level 
you know, bullshit things when at the top of it all is this debt paced system that we're all, you know, we're all entrapped in. To me, that's the big, the core of the problem that should be addressed and never seems to be addressed properly. Like it's all, everybody just sloughs it off and they want to fight about left and right and, and all these, you know, other identity issues or whatever is, is like, you know, screaming through the mainstream as a distraction instead of like looking at why the whole world and every country is in debt. Yeah, that's a great, great point that you, that you bring up, uh, and and it's true. And that whole left-right paradigm, and in, in this case, we're speaking about the political sense. That's by design, and um, and actually, there, there's um, there's an author who you're probably familiar with, uh, Carol Quigley, Quigley, excuse me, yeah. who was a uh, Bill Clinton's mentor, and he's deceased, but he, he wrote a, a massive book. Um, basically exposing the CFR and their plans. And in there, he clearly outlines that um, the, the strategy is to control both parties and to, to maintain the same um, end goal, uh, but just put, put, put on a show, so to speak, for the public to make it seem like they're opposing each other. But if you ever listen to mainstream television and, and, and what the, the, what the uh, politicians are saying about they never come out in opposition to the Fed, to the Federal Reserve System. That's like a taboo subject for them. Um, thankfully, uh, Ron Paul, in his uh, two campaigns, he brought, uh, I think, tremendous awareness around this, yeah, this subject. That he, he elevated it probably tenfold because uh, before him, uh, you know, it, most people didn't even know what, what the heck this thing is. So, uh, so yeah, to, to your point, absolutely, that, that it's a divide and conquer strategy, and um, you know, control both parties, and then you control the outcome. Yeah. So, what about? Can for I interject people? something? Yeah, you for bet. sure. Can I interject something? Uh, I want to read two quotes uh, since Tomas brought up Quigley. Uh, Carol Quigley. Carol Quigley was one ass-kicking historian. Excuse me if I'm not supposed to say that word. No, you can say whatever you want. Thank you. Okay. He wrote a book, and this is a monster book called Tragedy and Hope in 1966. Uh, Not enough credit has been given to his wife because she typed the manuscript. Ouch. Anyway, he, in this book... Uh, it's not too long of a quote. This is what he said, and you got to go back. This is 1966. He said, the powers of financial capitalism had another far-reaching aim, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. This system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world, acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at frequent meetings, frequent private meetings and conferences. The apex of the system was to be the Bank of International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, a privately owned and controlled, a private bank owned and controlled by the world's central banks, which were themselves private corporations. He's talking one world right there. Yeah. And this is 1966. It, it, it's, it's a stunning commentary to be made so early on. 
and no one really seemed to jump on it. Yeah. Well, it even seems to be tangled up now that if you even want to go after it, you know, people start defending it, saying you're going, it's anti-capitalism, but, you know, it's it's beyond capitalism at this point. It's It's become, you know, super predatory. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I thought that since yeah. Tomas brought up uh, Carol Quigley, yeah. I thought I'd throw that in there. Can I read? I'm sorry. Read one no, more no, quote. That's good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. This, and this, this is. I wonder if it's the same one I was going to read. <laughs> uh, well, we'll find out. Yeah. Keep in mind what I just what Carol Quigley told us. That's 1966. Now jump forward to 2002. To the autobiography of David Rockefeller, <laughs> called Memoirs. And. I know this is a correct quote because I actually went out and bought his book. I didn't want to, but I bought it because I'd seen this quote on the web, and I, but I had to make sure that this was accurate. This is what he said. For more than a century, ideological extremists at either end of the political spectrum have seized upon well-publicized incidences, such as my encounter with Castro, to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence they claim we wield over American political and economic institutions. Some even believe we are part of a secret cobble of internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. Now that is what he's saying extremists on either end of the political spectrum is charging he and his family with. This is his one sentence answer to that charge. If that is the charge, I stand guilty and I'm proud of it. <laughs> that is from David Rockefeller, head of the Rockefeller clan. Is that the one you were gonna say, Tomas? No. But that's a great one oh, because that, that <laughs> because that, that that's a great one because it's it's so telling about uh, the efforts of the Rockefeller family uh, and foundation and and their alignment with other such uh, groups and foundations. But the the one I was going to say, and since I'm holding the book in my the tragedy and hope book in my hand, and it does mm -hmm. weigh about five or six pounds, I could tell you that <laughs> 1,348 pages. But uh, in reference to the political uh, discussion before, so. Quigley says, the argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps on the right and the other on the left, is a foolish idea acceptable only to doctrinaire and academic thinkers. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can throw, throw the rascals out at any election without leading to any profound or extensive shift in policy. The policies that are vital and necessary for America are no longer the subjects of significant disagreement, but are disputable only in details of procedure, priority, or method. So right there, he says that the two parties are the same. 
Wow. Yeah, that's that's those are great quotes. I mean, have you guys ever followed Jay's analysis at all? He gets he gets into tragedy hope quite a bit. He he writes some essays and some podcasts and deconstruction and really really gets it out there about uh about some of the stuff and he gets deeper in with who who was connected with Quigley as well and he talks about some of these books that like you guys said have never really got enough focus on them. I'm not familiar with him, but but I do know that there was some serious uh, um, controversy over the way this particular book was published, and I think uh, that they made it very difficult. and 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 I don't know the details exactly, but uh, it was quite a uh, quite a stir when when Quigley went ahead and and uh, tried to get this published. Yeah, yeah. So I think what we should do is dig into a little bit for 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 people that don't really understand or know what's going on with the financial system like is there Let's any way you can summarize for dummies yeah like, like can, you, can you summarize the problem with it right now like you, you know you guys have 20 trillion coming up on 20 trillion dollars worth of debt the debt-based economy like and, and then maybe before we finish obviously talk about some of the ideas and solutions that you guys have talked about certainly the to me the monetary system is the disease. And in our country nowadays, most people talk about symptoms, things that are related to the disease, but if all you do is symptomatic relief, you never cure the disease. But one of the key major available uh, under, uh, available pieces of information that represents <clears throat> just how bad this system is is our national treasury debt at over $20 trillion. The a couple of things just to put this in perspective is most people, trillion is just a word. Yeah. It's not a number. In written form, a trillion, one trillion is one followed by 12 zeros. I would say that probably most people haven't even written the number one trillion. However, it's not just a number, it's, it's astronomical in portion. One way, to, or a couple ways to understand the magnitude of just one trillion is I made the calculations. First one was seconds. Okay, what's a second? It's a snap of a finger, who cares? One trillion seconds? If you could, if you could live long enough, to hand out a trillion $1 bills, and you only took one second to hand out each one, <laughs> you would have to live 31,709 <laughs> years to, to accomplish that task. That's one trillion. If you could walk a trillion inches, okay, everybody knows an inch, come on, it's no big deal. But if you could walk, if you did walk a trillion inches, you would walk a distance equal to 633, 634 times around the Earth at the equator. Wow, and that's one trillion, could, not 20 trillion, right? So that's you one time, trillion. times those numbers by 20 for the yeah. debt, right? Yeah. And finally, let's say you, you really wanted to accumulate those frequent flyer miles, and you were going to fly a trillion miles. If you could fly a trillion miles, you would fly 107 round trips from Earth to Pluto and back. <laughs> That's one trillion. 
Our How long does it take to fly a spaceship to Pluto? I, you know what? That one I didn't check into. I guess it depends <laughs> if, what warp speed you're going at. Yeah, I want to say it's like but a now long we're, time. Now we're looking at, yeah, it's, it's going to be a while. I'll um, find out. I feel like it's like seven Please to nine do. years or something like that, or 15 years maybe. But let's talk about the national treasury debt, which is now in excess of $20 trillion. The I, tr- uh, I tracked this for the last uh, many years. Ten years. And just to give you just to give you some perspective, on January twentieth, and I chose January twentieth because that's the day somebody is installed as president of the United States, or it's an anniversary of their installation as president. Clinton began his administration on one twenty nineteen ninety three. And the national debt was round numbers approximately fourteen point one eight eight trillion dollars. During his eight years, a, a trillion and a half was in, added to the debt. During the Bush years, so where does that put us now? Then, sorry. Well, at that at that moment in time, it, it, when Clinton left office. In 2001, the national treasury debt was 5.7 trillion. 5.7. Bush took office, and his eight years added almost 4.9 trillion dollars to the debt, which brought the debt to 10.6 trillion. When Obama took office, or as a result of his eight years, the treasury debt increased by $9.3 trillion. So in 24 years, the treasury debt went from 4.188 to 19.9, an increase of $15.7 trillion. And it's doubling every presidency, which is kind of alarming. Well, the, the thing is, is, is that, okay, this is unsustainable. It's unpayable, which, and the only reason that it is currently serviceable is because the interest rates are so low. You could not service this debt if they were paying four, five, 6%. The, and the idea that the U.S. government can continue to acquire borrower or lenders in essence investors in this treasury debt from whether it's other countries other people other businesses is alarmingly incorrect the other thing that i've come to understand is now i take it everybody's familiar with the name bernie madoff no you better give us bernie madoff okay bernie madoff uh is doing 150 years right now for running the world's largest private Ponzi scheme. And I think it was upwards of 60 billion. Jump change when you come to 20 trillion. But he's doing 150 years because he ran the world's largest private Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme is an activity where you get lenders, investors, you take their money, but you have no profit-making operation at all. You're just recycling money. The 
investors who came in first get paid back either their principal or interest or dividends with money that came in after them. Also known as a pyramid scheme, right? Right. And it started with Charles Ponzi back in the early 1900s. But the hallmark of a Ponzi scheme is that you have no profit-making activity. None. It's just recycling of money. Well, I would ask people, what profit-making activity is the U.S. government operating? And the answer is none. Don't they sell arms? Profit-making. What? Don't they sell a lot of arms? No, the... The companies in the U.S. do. Oh, yeah, and they just tax um, it. The And taxation to me is not profit-making, it's profit-taking. Yeah, that's right, I would therefore, agree. Yeah. Therefore, the, the U.S. Treasury debt of $20 trillion is by definition the world's largest public Ponzi scheme. And all Ponzi schemes eventually fail. And the, and the problem with this one is, is not if, but when it fails, and you think about all the entities that were required to invest in these AAA-rated bonds, which would include public and private pensions and Social Security, what, what's going to happen when they can't get their principal back? These, these pensions are already seriously underfunded. This is going to absolutely negatively impact a tremendous amount of people. Yet the federal, our federal government, you know, they're talking about tax cuts and increasing the treasury debt another trillion and a half dollars. It's so this is so this is so this is an added expense that you guys have down there, and I mean we have it here as well. It's just not as it's not as extreme. But you're so you're saying that. Um, all these people that have public and private pensions or like the, well, the, the total added up to that is, is like way more than even the debt and that it's not no, sustainable at all. What I'm saying is the pensions, uh, whether they're public or private, they, are, they have invested in the treasuries. Right, so right. Some of their assets are these treasury bills, bonds, or notes. And eventually, this system is going to fail, which means these pensions are not going to get their return on investment. They may not even get all their principal back. And, and these pensions are already seriously underfunded because they made more promises than they can keep. This is going to have just a really wicked domino effect when the federal government can no longer sustain this debt they can't they, they can't you know eventually they're going to run out of people to continue to fund this ponzi that's the problem i see yeah do you have anything to add to that tomas well the, the fact that it is a scheme is what allowed the debt situation to get so bad because if we had if we had a constitutional monetary system, which was actually backed by something real, then 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 we wouldn't be in this situation because because essentially what the bankers have done is uh, defied the laws of, of 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 reality or physics because uh, now that they've they have a mechanism 
for borrowing uh, from future generations for current expenditures. Um, and so, and I guess we could take this uh, way back historically several hundred years when the function of a bank uh, was really to store gold or a goldsmith. And, uh, and of course, it was, it was heavy to lug around, so people would prefer to get a certificate. You know, you deposit your gold, uh, you know, whatever pieces of gold, and you get a certificate for that, and then you could uh, exchange using their certificates. But then the goldsmiths got smart, uh, or clever, I should say, and then they started issuing more certificates. Then they actually had gold on deposit, which right there to me was the beginning of fraudulent banking. Uh, it's like being able to rent out two cars, b- being able to rent out one car to two customers at the same time. You know, you can't do it with cars, but you could do it with with uh, with uh, certificates uh, for gold deposits. So um, anyway, uh, so as far as the Fed coming into existence in 1913, uh, I, I would also mention that I think it is an unconstitutional act. There's um, there's debate on on to whether whether it was actually. Um, uh, well, I, I guess there, there was a, I think it was 1913, uh, two days before Christmas, with a very uh, low-attended Congress that they had to vote, uh, probably by design. But uh, nonetheless, it, it does go against the uh, the constitutional requirements for money. So uh, I, I would just add that those those factors contribute to the debt growing to the size that it has. Um and I would also add that there's there's an ideological leaning to bringing about this type of a system, um, and that being collectivism or, or, or statism, um, basically centralizing power uh, within the government. Now, I mentioned I worked at the Fed. As it, as it turned out, I happened to be there when, when um, uh, Alan Greenspan was giving his retirement speech. And I was in in the auditorium when he did so, and I had a I had a question ready for him. I didn't get to ask it, but I think it was in around 1964. Alan Greenspan wrote an article uh, entitled "Golden Freedom," and in that in that article, he, he very eloquently um, described how if you don't have gold, it, it, he was using gold. He says if you don't have gold backing your money then you have no safe store of value and it it really serves statism because then they could just uh they're they're free to create money at the expense of of the people uh summarizing in a nutshell and so really what what i wanted to ask him was if if you were so much against fiat money then you know what happened? Where did you turn around to become the leader of of the biggest criminal enterprise uh, on, on the planet? And uh, so, interestingly enough, uh, I found out later that Ron Paul asked asked him that same question when he ran into him in a, in the halls of Congress. And the answer uh, Alan Greenspan gave Ron Paul was, "It wasn't practical to, to keep that viewpoint." <laughs> so I guess he sold his soul. Is the bottom line. So is is it worth addressing this issue internationally and globally as opposed to I mean like we've talked a lot about about the you know the Fed and the states but it is it is a bigger issue right it is an international issue and is it true you know you hear all these memes like the only two countries left that aren't a part of the central banking system is you know Syria and um North Korea and and North Korea or these types of things like do you want to address that before we get into sort of more of the solution side of things or alternate systems? I'd like to say a couple things. 
Sure. Uh, it, it, to to follow on with Tomas said about uh, you know spending basically borrowing today and putting the, putting the uh, burden on the future generation, which is what we've been doing since the Fed went operational in 1914. Uh, this is a quote from a letter, an 1816 letter to John Taylor by Thomas Jefferson. He said, and I sincerely believe with you that banking establishments are more dangerous than standing armies and that the principle of spending money to be paid by posterity, meaning future, under the name of funding is but swindling futurity on a lot on a large scale. He's, you know, to me, what he's and, and the, I, the importance I find in these old quotes is is that these founders knew what was going on. They weren't asleep at the wheel. They were very aware of what they were trying to accomplish, what had been a problem in the past. And he's, you know, he's basically saying, you don't, you don't help the future by indebting them. You pay your own way. And if, if our national government has 20 trillion in debt, which it does, that's pretty much proof that we have not paid our own way. And we, we have now put this on our children and our grandchildren to do what we did not do which was pay our own way. And this is absolutely wrong. Uh, as to banking, you know, most of the world has similar central bank operations. And I believe probably most of them allow, allow the money creation to be done solely at the bank level. If it's if it's a problem in the U.S., it's a problem everywhere else. Mm, yeah. And what you know, sometimes these little things happen and they go kind of unnoticed, but they are a precursor to what's coming. The I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term bail in. Are you? Yep. Okay. Bail in. Uh, what's a bail in? Well, the bailout's when the government comes in and saves the, saves the, uh, the banking or the finance companies. A bail-in, ha- and it's ha- and it happened in my Cyprus, recall didn't it? it got legit. Yes. Pardon? It happened in Cyprus, didn't it? It did. Yeah. Well, bail-ins got legitimized uh, during a G20 conference. I think it, at the end of 2014, and the bail-in is where, let's say your bank has a little problem and it gets shut down. And by the time it reopens, the way it became uh, solvent, that is where the assets exceeded liabilities, is it took, in essence, it took money out of you, your bank account and other bank accounts and moved it to equity, which means the money that you used to have is now represented as shares in the bank. You became an unwitting, involuntarying owner of the bank. This is an irreversible action, and you have no say-so in how much they take. That's a bail-in. What they're telling you is it's more important to save the bank, given even though they've probably done a lot of 
stupid things, we're going to save the bank and you're going to pay for it. And you have no say so in it. And and again, this, this ties. I'm sorry, I was just going to add ahead. this ties into the yeah. collectivist uh, ideology that we're doing is for your good. You know, this is for the greater the greater benefit of the greater number. And so we're going to we're going to steal from you. But don't worry, we're doing this for your own good. Yep. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's 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 more like a, an absolute direct bailout. You know, it's coming right from from your pocket. So so um, Thomas, do you have anything to add to the international part of it before we kind of switch gears a little bit? Um. Well, I guess, I guess the only uh, Alan already mentioned it before that it is a global structure. It's definitely a, a global pyramid structure. Uh, you know, centered centered around uh, around Basel. Um, but um, uh, no, I, I think I think we can go ahead and move on. So, Alan, Alan, what do you think about? I mean, you know, the didn't you guys have some some short histories of you know greenbacks and um, <clears throat> banking that was backed by gold and stuff like that? I mean, even I even think in Canada we shifted in the set early seventies to. Uh, you know, uh, being funded by the banks as opposed to having our own currency, which helped build our railroads and our national, our, our highways and stuff like that, and our infrastructure, which was, I think, basically more or less debt-free money. Um, what do you think uh, some of the solutions are now, and 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 what are some of the things you guys are working on and brainstorming about? My my take on it right now, and the the full the full comments on this topic are beyond tonight it, it would take you know another yeah, time yeah. or two to discuss yeah, this but yeah. the short of it is is that to understand this is and this has come through my seven years of study because i just wandered through all kinds of different information to finally develop this understanding yeah to, to under to, to get the real sense of the disease you got to understand it and part of that understanding is Again, I'm speaking of the U.S. right now. You really need to understand what is money, and the economic term is M1. And what you need to understand is how M1 money is created, and it's only created by banks, which means our federal government has no other alternative but to tax or borrow. I'm not against banks, I'm for banks, but I want the power to create money to be taken away from them and I want it to be put into a acceptable system that allows the benefit of money creation to belong to the people. Yeah. And in that way, we could actually fund our federal government without the need to tax or borrow. Do you think Again, that could happen? Or do you think the corruption just, you know, is inherent? Well, thank you for that question. And ultimately, the, the the drive to make the change must come from people. You, we can't expect our leaders in D.C. to fix this. We have to demand it. 
people need to get educated and to understand the monetary system does not require a PhD in economics. You don't have to be a high-flying Wall Street financier. You need just to, you need to understand just some basic aspects of how money is created, how the system works, and once once that understanding is obtained, the call to action is simple. We need to change this monetary system. We don't we don't need to audit. And when they and when the polls say audit, they don't mean financial statement audit. They mean operational audit. The each of the Fed banks, all twelve of them, and the board of governors, their financial statements are audited every year, and you can find them on the web as PDFs. Uh, it's it's going to take individual people, individual action to to get educated and to demand the change. That to me is proper and effective political pressure. Because at the end of the day, these people are are employees. Mm-hmm. And I've given this example to people. Imagine that you have you decide to start a new business, let's say retail. And you go rent some space and you get some inventory. You actually go out and interview and hire and train your new employees. You put them in, you open the door, and then you walk away. And I ask people, how, how, well, your, how well is your business going to do? And they look at me like, it's not going to work at all. Well, in our system, we hire people. It's called an election. Chances are we never met never meet them, we don't vet them, we don't educate them, we don't train them, and we don't supervise what they're doing, and we're really surprised that our business, the federal government, doesn't do very well, because we're not involved. These governments were not meant to run on their own. They were meant to be controlled and observed and monitored by the people they're supposed to serve. The problem is getting people, go ahead. No, no, keep going, getting people to, to, once you learn, once you become, I believe, once you become aware of the seriousness of this problem, it just simply, t- I mean, the call to action, and Tomas and I have talked about it, call to action can actually be done in 10 minutes a day in the U.S. You make three phone calls and you send three emails to the people in D.C. and you demand the change. And you do it every day and you get everybody you know to do it. And after they get, you know, hundreds of thousands of emails and phone calls on their system, they're going to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So but are if, they doing something, are they doing something ahead. like that with the banks and in, in some of the States down there, they have some private banks that are not part of the, uh, the debt based system. I can't remember what they're calling them now, but is that a step in the right direction for some local communities? It might work temporarily for a local community, but these, uh, these state-owned banks, the only state-owned bank I know is the one in North Dakota. The problem is is that you're not living in a vacuum. You're living in the United States of America. Yeah. And if this economic system fails, everybody is going to be negatively impacted. Uh, you know, it's not a matter of, well, I can row my own boat. Uh, it won't, I, I don't see that as being a, a uh, sustainable alternative. Unless rowing your own boat is like living 100% off yourself. It's, it's, it, it might be possible if you were completely, totally off the grid and nobody could find you. 
and you know you you've got enough land, water, food, guns. Uh, yeah, you might be able you might be able to survive. I mean, I feel like that's the becoming an option for a lot of people. I mean, I feel like a lot of people are yeah. being attracted to just you know um, opting out of the whole system, you know, and 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 growing your own food and and living on your own seems to be more of a and uh, a pleasant option for people. It's always a good thing to be able to do, but to, to me, to a degree, we all owe a duty to our country. And yep. walking away from it when it's about to get hit with a massive problem is not honoring that duty. Yep. And, and I would add to it that I think I think that's an illusion, and I, I could see how that might be attractive to, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I think they call it bug out or check out, you know, uh, live off the land and uh, all that stuff. But, um, you know, th this this agenda is global. Uh, there's really nowhere to escape to. Uh, we're being cornered and our backs are against the wall. So, like Alan said, you, you can't turn away from it. We have to come to the realization that, um, th that, that, these people who who are you know running running the uh, I'm referring to bigger uh, picture now beyond just the financial controls, but I think the bigger picture is that they're trying to create a global uh, slave system, and it doesn't matter if you're you know living on a on a ground on a you know hillside somewhere or, or have your own farm because you know what. The United Nations already has plans for you and how how all the uh, land is going to be divvied up and where you can go and where you can't go. And that's all a part of this bigger plan. So uh, I guess my point is, uh, you, you know, if you think you could just uh, bug out and not be a part of it all, well, somebody else has other plans for you. I can tell you that. Well, well said, Tomas. Uh yeah, that's part of Agenda 21 or Agenda 30 and creating big regional areas and making more and more land uh, off limits to people. Hmm. You might be able to drive by it, but you can't live there and you can't walk on it. Bastards. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to head yeah, back to the reserve. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I'd like to tie this all back to uh, something very fundamental, which is which is uh, individual property rights, because right. So if you can't own property, and 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 even the money that you have is not really your money, as was evidenced in Cyprus, um, and for that matter, the U.S. dollars you may have in your pocket are also not your money, because if you do something like like tear it or deface it, then you you can you can be brought up on charges because technically it's not your money; you're just borrowing it. So uh, all this I think really ties back to the, the attack over the decades on individual property rights um and they don't want us to have any so um it's again it's a bigger discussion it's it's, it's a it's a lawful legal discussion maybe for another time but uh, i definitely think that in a collectivist run society the individual has no rights uh whether that be um you know property uh or or, or otherwise how how have you guys well, seen how have you guys seen this change over the last few years? Like you you've both been studying this and been into it for at least four years. So how have you seen any any progress? Have you seen an awakening? Have you, are you disappointed? What what's your feeling of how it's been? You first, Alan. Oh, okay. Uh, what I have seen is this 
No, I'm not happy. <laughs> I've seen this, and it it almost has started with uh, this political correctness, and that has been ramped up more and more to the point where if you say something that someone else doesn't like, you are being hateful or, or something else. And this is more, and I've got a phrase for this. When, for, when words are forbidden, thoughts are vanquished. Yeah. And people are being corralled into, well, you can only say this, you can only do this. Uh, it, there's, no more, there's no more accepted difference. Yep. Or, okay, you, you, I don't like what you're doing, you don't like what I'm doing, see you later. If, if somebody is offended, they're going to speak out about how wrong you are and, and then as opposed to saying, well, what you're telling me is, offends me, but go right ahead because I believe that you have the right to speak. I, I, don't, I don't find the, that we've been making headway to more individual rights, as Tomas is talking about. We are giving them up with the idea that the central government will take care of us. Strong, powerful, all controlling central governments have never taken care of anything but itself. (laughs) They don't take care of their people because the people don't matter anymore because because the central government is not being responsive to the fundamental rights of liberty and freedom, it gets in their way. I don't, I don't see the, I don't see the progress, but I, I am not without hope. And I'm hopeful that when people come to really understand their national monetary system, they will see the threat and they will see the very doable, effective call to action that won't take much time out of their life and can pres- can produce an amazing result. Tomas, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I, I like the the uh, the points that Alan made. Uh, I I think um, I think freedom and responsibility very much go hand in hand, and likewise, I think uh, having a sense of entitlement and becoming a uh, essentially slave also goes, goes a hand in hand. You know, people today, I think are conditioned to look for handouts, look for, uh, you know, have a sense of entitlement of what the state gives them or what other people give them. And, and that's, that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. Um, I am encouraged by more and more people I'm meeting who are, um, either awakened or, or have been awakened to, to, what it, to the importance of of having a free society and understanding individual rights um so so i think um so yeah so so, so i think i i am i am actually encouraged uh, because um i think i'm seeing more and more people who are awakened to this and i think to some degree um the last uh, presidential election was somewhat evidence of this because um uh, I think had had Hillary Clinton won the election, 
geez, I, I don't know that, that that might just be the last straw for this country. Um, so I'm, I'm still kind of feeling hopeful. Uh, and that's not to say that's not to say anything good or bad about uh, our, 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 our President Trump. But uh, God, it's far, far, far more desirable than having another Clinton in the White House. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know, I know, I know if hate speech isn't going to get expanded in some way to sort of start going against anything from criticizing the state to, you know, whatever they want. Well, I think it's another political tool. This whole uh, attack on on uh, you know our First Amendment and uh, and using things like hate speech it's just just another tool that they use uh, for for controlling the dialogue uh, in in the direction that they want it to go to. Bingo, and, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a slippery slope for sure. I mean, I. I, I agree with you. It's it seems to me though that it's that people are waking up, but people are also slipping into the deeper sleep as well. It's like they're being polarized in a way where the middle seems to be like you would think with the internet and with all this information that we'd all be going towards the the uh, the center of you know closer to the 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 truth or reality. But it seems like we're we're going towards the sides. You know, we're po- being polarized. You know, everybody's just using the information to confirm their own worldview, and yet there are people, you know, waking up. Certain events happen, and there are people waking up. So I feel like that's growing, but the other side is growing as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, and I, and I think that's a very important point that you make that there is a divide. That, and I think there are two, uh, again, two, two different perspectives. Uh, one, uh, on one hand, you have uh, the ind- individualism, and the other side, collectivism, and the two cannot coexist because they are they are uh, completely incompatible with, with each other. So what you're seeing is people kind of sticking to their guns, and uh, I, I I think I think you are seeing a lot of the um, uh, collectivist arguments uh, really uh, being defeated however lately and and so what you see with a lot of these groups like Antifa and um, you know these protests that are going on they're not putting forth any kind of logical or, or meaningful uh, uh, dialogue or arguments they're just break, basically breaking windows and yelling uh, profanities uh, that, that does make for a very good argument well and punching and, and actually being yeah. violent which there's really no excuse for political violence is just absolutely I think it's kind of you know they're, they're eating themselves that way I mean I think that it's, there's no excuse for you know punching somebody because of their view well apparently if you are on the proper side of the argument you get to be violent and it's okay yeah, exactly because you're, you're you are supporting the proper and correct position uh which it, to me is incredibly hypocritical and the the media doesn't really seem to pick up on that that no much. but i think other people are seeing through it i mean i really think that is a shallow um, facade that is that is that is being seen through by people, and the media is you know the media is just also I think eating itself by all the blatant lies and the propaganda. But I mean, I don't know. I keep flipping back and forth. I've, I actually haven't been paying attention lately to that. I've been consciously staying away from the the political stuff, and and it's hard because I, I keep flipping back and forth, thinking, well, it's getting better, it's getting worse, it's getting better, it's getting worse. You know, I just don't I don't know what's going on. Depends where you look, right? Yeah. I think to make things ultimately better, and your show is part of that effort to make things better, 
is to really, as best as possible, lay out what a specific problem is. And if the listeners are in agreement, completely or partially, you give them a doable, effective call to action and turn this interest into activism. Especially if you can get the activism to not actually have to require protests or marching with signs or blocking freeways, but making phone calls and sending emails or something to that effect. Because we need to move from the intellectual side of these discussions, which are very important because you need to understand what's going on, but we need to move away from that or we need to move from that point and bring it into actual physical action. Yeah, and we have to fight against the $18 billion, the $18,000 million that Soros pumps into these organizations, you know, that that are basically, you know, changing, forcing the culture to change in, in the ways that they want. America.ca slash support. <laughs> but we can do that with proper, supported, documented education and inviting people to have the discussion. If you really believe in what you believe in, then let's have the discussion. Let's hash it out. We can get loud. We can get upset. We don't have to get violent. We don't have to get nasty. But let's let's get the, let's 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 figure out really what the facts are. Yeah, exactly. So what would you guys? Go oh, keep going. Sorry. I know. Well, just from that position, you invite the opportunity to resolve issues by having discussions, by having debates, by not making everything off limits. You got be respectful, be polite, of course, but let's get down to what we're really talking about. And what I'm finding on certain, you know, from certain groups is they get loud, they get nasty, they get name calling. And for some reason, that's okay. But they don't define, they don't really define why they're saying what they're saying. Well, because they don't really know what they're saying. All they know is that they've been programmed for certain hot button issues and somebody presses that button and off they go. You know, all, all this, uh, all this talk about fascism and uh, you know extreme right and and uh, whatnot, it makes absolutely no sense because um, a lot of these extreme liberal groups are outright calling for communism in, in the United States, and and they're pointing the finger saying you know our president's a fascist or or you you people are fascist. Well, when you really think about it, and and you don't have to be a genius to figure this out, but there's there's essentially no difference between communism and fascism. And uh, and under neither system do you, do you have any, does the state recognize any individual rights to uh, life, liberty, and property? So, uh, you know, they don't even realize that, that they're actually promoting what they say to be against. Uh, so 
I, I, I think that just uh, that's just you, that's attri- attributable to our controlled media and our controlled uh, uh, academia for many, many, many decades now. Yeah, exactly. I would close with this uh, on the on the heels of what Tomas just said. Once again, I go to one of my favorite sources for quotes, Thomas Jefferson. He's quoted as saying, when the people fear their government, there's tyranny. When the government fears the people, there's liberty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Start by just, I don't know what's the first thing. What's the easiest way to detach? Like, what's the first thing our listeners can do, in your opinion, to sort of do their part? To, to get up to speed, okay, and granted, whether you're local, regional, or national, uh, because you don't want somebody jumping into something that they just don't connect to. But if you're if you're about your if you're about a national issue such as the monetary system, you got to start getting educated. Uh, one great source is the creature from Jekyll Island, uh, or there's other books out there. The this is one of the areas that Tomas and I want to start educating people about. We'd love to you know meet with groups. We've got information to share. If any if any group or persons out there interested, contact you, and you could pass it on to us. If there's a local issue that uh, somebody you know that just strikes a nerve in you, then go out and talk to both sides and see what they're about. Uh, you know, openly, easy, non-judgmental. Just take the information in. Go back home and figure out where you're at, and then get involved. But we've we've got to move from, you know, from in essence playing video games and getting out and playing the real game. Uh, that can involve talking with your family, your neighbors, your friends, your social groups. Uh, and when you find the topic that interests you, and you find a, a group that supports your view or you support their view, you get involved and you ask them how you can help. We have, we have to stop being pacifist in the sense that we just sit there and get educated and do nothing. And the process that I went through through these seven years, and I had no idea I was going to be going through this process, but it's the way it worked out. And I define it by educate, motivate, and the more I got educated, the more motivated I got to get educated. So I went through that cycle many, many times. But it, it was a three-step process. Educate, motivate, activate. You go out and you try to do something different. You go out and try to get involved. You go out and meet people. And you figure out how you can hopefully make a difference by actually being involved. Uh, sharing information, being part of group. How does Freedom Force fit into all that? Freedom Force has it, it, it's anti-collectivist, pro-individual, and it's got a creed of freedom. It's what brought about the Red Pill Expo. Uh, it's I, I find a lot of education and comfort in what 
it stands for. The, and I, I met so many people who are willing to get involved, willing to get educated, willing to share. Yeah, and, and I would add that, um, you know how earlier, sorry, I hear some noise. Um, sounds like a, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess you couldn't hold it. Um, earlier we were mentioning about uh, not getting into the, the, the political discussion so much. Um, Freedom Force uh, takes the ideological perspective so what does that mean? So it means the focus is on how does a certain policy, what is the, what is the underlying ideology behind a policy? See, when, when uh, people debate political issues, it misses the point. It misses the point because they, they don't realize that they can be there till tomorrow morning and they're not going to be in agreement. And the reason they're not going to be in agreement is because they have totally opposing ideological perspectives. So... The political is built upon on top of the ideological. So what Freedom Force does is, like Alan mentioned before, they have a creed of freedom, which uh, you can you can see on their website, which is freedomforceinternational.org. And uh, that that was really my my clear moment when when I started going into this material years ago. Is yes, you know what, the, the state didn't create me. Um, I believe God created me or for wh whatever else entity you want to refer to, uh, but it wasn't the state. We all agree, uh, agree that the state did not give us our lives. Uh, so therefore, the state doesn't grant us our rights. We like the, like our, our founding document state, um, you know, we, we receive gods before the, before uh, the state is created. So therefore, those rights of life, liberty, and property cannot be denied to us by the state. And after all, the state was created by the people. So I think just getting these uh, these foundational perspectives on what our rights are is is absolutely uh, crucial. And then everything else kind of falls into place. You know, like take for example gun rights. Well, wait a second. We created the state to protect us. You know, we had guns before the state was created. Now they're going to turn around and tell us we can't have a gun? No, that's backwards. That, that's like your child turning around to you and telling you, you know, you, you can't do whatever. That, that, that's backwards. So, uh, uh, so that, that's, 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 I think, what I learned most from Freedom Force is, is a, a good, solid understanding of what our individual rights are and, and how that plays into uh, other perspectives. Well said. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably a good a good place to wrap it up. I mean, it's been a fantastic chat. I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and and uh, sharing all this. And I I think it's really good what you guys are doing. And you know, I think it's like I said, it's one of the most important uh, problems that needs to be addressed. Yep, I've re I've really enjoyed the time. Uh, thank you for giving us this opportunity and venue to speak. And. I always enjoy listening to Tomas talk because I never know what he's going to say, but I'm, I know I'm going to learn something out of it. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to say either, but, uh, <laughs> but no, this was tremendous. Uh, th thank, thank you gentlemen for setting this up. Uh, this was really a, really a treat for me. I'm much appreciated. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks. And we'll keep in touch and maybe we can do it again sometime, uh, you know, as time goes down the road a little bit. And, and uh, we'll send you, you know, a copy and links and everything will be in the show notes as well for people to reference. Fuck yeah. Fantastic. Wonderful. Fantastic. Right. right on, guys. We'll okay, have a good night. Yeah, and thanks we'll a bunch, soon. and we'll do this again one day soon. Look forward to it. Have a good evening, everyone. Okay, okay. thanks, guys. Everybody be safe and well. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Okay. Bye-bye. That was a chat with... Um, Tomas and Alan? Tomas, 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 Tomas and Alan. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, man, it was good. I like the, uh, the the overarching theme about debt and and how it's unsustainable. Like, but it, in some ways, it's kind of scary as well because you know you don't want to think about that. Uh, that what you know? What if the interest rates go up? What if uh, what if this thing collapses? It's just really not sustainable. Twenty trillion. I love those examples about what a trillion is. Like, I was thinking Jesus, like eighteen eighteen billion is eighteen thousand million. So a billion is a thousand million. And a trillion would be a thousand billion. So a thousand, thousand, thousand million. Yeah. No. Yeah. But I mean, those other examples are great, you know, like 30 something years uh, of seconds. I mean, that's just, that really puts things into perspective. And how it's increased, you know, eight trillion over the Obama years and then four or five trillion. Like you were saying, it's doubling every presidency. That this just cannot keep going. Uh, every every eight years we they managed to drive up the debt of the rest of fucking the history of the country. The rest of the history of the republic doubles every unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you so, yeah, if you took a to if you took a trillion millionths of an inch it would still be 83 feet tall. Wow. Uh, I can play the that's, trillion game. I don't know. That's not, that's not a very good <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> a trillion millionths of an inch? Just yeah, makes it's a good try, though. Good it try. makes it more confusing? Yeah. Well, good try. It's, only it's only 83 feet tall. <laughs> I can do my own sad trombone too. Yeah, big thanks to Tomas and Alan for coming on the show. It was a great chat. Um, of course, guys, check out grammarica.ca slash support. Check out all the different ways you can support the show so we can keep talking to whoever we want, whenever we want. Talk about With whatever no we want. Try and combat fucking Soros's $18 billion by giving us $18. Anyway, we, could, yeah. we should make that a thing in the newsletter. Yeah, we should, eh? Eighteen dollars each to combat Oris. Yeah, there you go. Soros is eighteen thousand million. That's a good idea. I'll make his new subscription. There you go. So sign up for that one, guys. Uh, sign up for monthly. Honestly, though, if you can, there's a bunch of different options. There's a guy that really does help. Really does keep the show going and keep all the gears lubed up and turning and the heat on and all the bills paid. The cords, all the broken cords to be replaced. That's right. That's right. A lot of coffee gets drank in the studio. So yeah, support the show, guys. It really does help. Grammarica.ca slash support. If you can't afford to support us monetarily, we get it. Um, join the chats, too. Join the chats. Grammarica.ca slash chats. Sign motherfuckers up for the newsletter. Grammarica.ca slash news. Review the show. Share the show. Grammarica.ca slash iTunes. Seriously, at least review the show and share the show. If you can't afford to support the show, and then we'll call it even.
Sound good? Right on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Big thanks to you guys. And uh, I think that's about it, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Season's greetings from the Grimerica Show podcast. Gather around the fireplace. Help yourself to some hot cocoa with the little marshmallows in it. Maybe have a candy cane or two. And maybe some cookies. It's so warm and jolly. Cry Merry Christmas. Podcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I see you've acquainted yourself with D-Ron. Yeah, it's true, he puffs Christmas trees of medicinal. Wait a second, is that? Yeah, I think that's Sasquatch beneath the mistletoe. Get over here, Graham. Thank you for saving me and giving me a kiss. And it looks like Napoleon Doom is decorating the room with tinsels, ribbon, popcorn on strings and poinsettias, they are in bloom. And you might ask, who's that in the green and red Lucy Libre mask? Why, of course, that's RPJ, Feliz Navidad. It's so warm and jolly. Cry Merry Christmas. Podcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo And over there that's Graham crying tears of joy As he listens in on the little drummer boy You'll get a warm and fuzzy feeling if you donate to the Grand America show So get in the spirit, reach down in your pocket and make it rain I mean, uh, let it snow, make it snow, let it snow, let it snow, make it snow Donate to the show Donate to the show Donate to the show. It's so warm and jolly. Cry Merry Christmas. Podcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy. Boom, boom, boom.